We've been talking on, about glory and what glory is, and we're trying to go back and look at the history behind glory and lead up to it. What we're really trying to lead up to is 2 Corinthians 3.18, that the believer today is being transformed from glory to glory. And so that's just an amazing thing when you understand what God is doing. And uh, if you ever been in a situation where you've been watching someone do something and you don't understand what they're doing and it doesn't make sense to you, sometimes I don't tell my wife what I'm doing. I just start doing it. And she looks at me like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> She's not understanding what's happening in my mind, and that's probably a good thing. <laughs> but so God is doing things, and when you don't understand it, it doesn't make sense. I think that a lot of what is happening here, I think this, this topic of glory is just a huge topic. It's a huge topic because it gets down to the, where the rubber meets the road about what is God doing with you and I today. And the opportunity for you and I to bring glory to him. And what you're going to see today is that glory, and, and so in the world system, and you see it with men in the world system, what do men try to do? They try to glorify themselves. Their focus is on glorifying themselves, right? Well, you never saw the son do this when he was here doing his earthly ministry. What was he trying to do? To bring glory to the father. That was his focus. And so in this atmosphere that we're in today and the world system, I mean, it's just some of these Hollywood stars. OK, I give the athletes a pass. So they're probably bad. They're just as bad. It's just sickening to watch these people. And I, I look at these guys, some of these people talk about, they complain about the paparazzi. Well, don't tell them where you're going. Uh, you see it. I mean, some of these, Denzel Washington is not followed around by the paparazzi. There are actors and actresses who are not followed around. Some of these people, they want them to follow them. And so why? It's all about them. And, and some of these people, and your athletes, and so many of the people, these people have been made bigger than life in this culture. And really, some of these people, and I'll put the athletes in there all across the spectrum, some of these people are nothing but crass deviants. You wouldn't want your kids looking up to them. And so, God has allowed for us in this time to bring glory to Him. Now, we've been talking about the Son and how the Son brought glory to the Father during his earthly ministry. And so we're going to continue with that as we continue to make our march toward 2 Corinthians 3.18. What did the Son do? What was his focus? And his focus, you would see, was not on bringing glory to himself. It was on bringing glory to the Father. And we'll see it. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things. Grateful that as believers that we are in a unique position as we sit here today in a unique time. And really, we shouldn't fret about the time. This is a great opportunity to be able to glorify you. The greater the darkness, the greater the light. And we're thankful that in this great darkness that we can, as we're led by the Spirit, operate in such a way that uh, shows forth an opinion about you in how we conduct ourselves, in the things that we do, the things that we say. All of those things really matter. 
as the life of your son is being seen out in this mortal body. And we're so thankful for that potential. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so we want to start as we go over and look at the fact that the focus of the son was to glorify the father during his earthly ministry. And let's begin in John chapter 7, verse 18. Now, this is a very interesting account. Um, The Lord goes to the feast and his brothers did not believe in him. And so they were very cynical as they talked to him at the beginning of this chapter. And we'll pick it up there and we'll read down through. And notice what happens here in verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry or among the Jews, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea that thy disciples also may see thy works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeks to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. That's kind of how the world thinks, right? You have all of these, what do they call them now? Influencers, branding, all of this. And it's all about the individual. And again, Let me put in another plug here. I think that's why we have a lot of insane people in our society today. I really believe that. Verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hates because I testify of it that its works thereof are evil. And you can see that, man. I mean, you don't, you don't even have to say anything to unsaved people. All you have to do is be, and they see it, and they don't like it. Verse 8, go ye up unto this feast. I go not up unto this, I go not yet up to, unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. And when he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he uh, up also unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and says, where is he? And there was murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said he is a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceives the people. Verse 13, Howbeit no man spake openly of him for the fear of the Jews. Now, verse 14, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught, and the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? And Jesus answered them, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, He will know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory. But he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true and no unrighteousness is in him. Now we had this saying and. um, when we were younger, when somebody tried to put themselves out forth, you're nothing but a glory hound. 
All you're looking for is your own opinion, people's opinion of you. You're just a glory hound. That's all you're concerned with. And, uh, and you can see that in the unsafe world. That that's the thing. It's everyone is pointing toward me. It's all about me. But notice here in verse 18 what the Lord said. He laid out two possibilities of glorification. He says, the one speaking of himself. That word speaking is the word laleo. And it actually has the word to verbalize with the mouth versus nonverbal communication. The articular participle here shows it's a specific one who is any specific one who is speaking for, about himself. My dad used to have this statement. He had, and he said it once, he said it a thousand times. The people who have the eye disease... Count how many times they say, I. I did this. I can do that. I will do this. And you have that. You have people who are focused on themselves. And what do they do? They articulate and verbalize about themselves. And notice he says, what do they do? They are seeking their own glory. That word seek is the word to search out and to look for with the expectation that they will find it. They're looking for their own opinion. They want someone to express an opinion about them. And, you know, this is just not outside the church. You have this in the church. I mean, a lot of the whole views of what is happening in Christendom with the, um, a lot of your things that are going on in the church, it's all on the basis of expression of an opinion of what people think you are as a church, right? And so you see that. And so notice, the one seeking the glory of the one who sent him is true, or really, he that seeks, or the specific one seeking the glory of the one that sent him uh, is really the same as true, or it's genuine, the one seeking the glory of the one who sent him, that one is genuine or authentic or real. I mean, it's, it's no mistake about what we see in our um, society. It used to be that they said if you go to, went to California, that what you would find in California is a bunch of fruits, flakes, and nuts. I think that that has expanded across this great country of ours all the way over to the East Coast. And I really think the real problem is this. Everyone's looking for their own opinion of who they are. Right? And they'll do anything to get it. You look at TikTok as an example. Uh, I've seen, ashamedly, some of the things that people go on TikTok and do just to get attention. Just to draw attention to themselves. Have you no shame? Uh, no, apparently not. And so you have this issue of the ones who seek their own glory. And what we're going to see is the son did not come to seek his own glory. And you'll see that. And turn over, if you would, in John chapter 8 and verse 54. This area of John, this, it's just, just an amazing uh, uh, book, particularly the 7th, 8th, uh, and ninth chapters. 
Well, going back to six, it's just and some amazing things that are said here. Now here in John chapter eight, he's dealing with the Jewish leaders and they don't uh, really care for him. And uh, notice you can see in the 11th chapter, he tells you why, uh, the 12th chapter, I think it is, or it's the 11th chapter, he tells you why, or uh, Caiaphas tells you why, they're, they're afraid that if they don't get rid of this man, that the, the uh, Gentiles will come, or Rome will come and take away their place and the situation they had set up. And so they were really on him. And so notice, let's pick it up in 38 just to have a little fun here. And so as he's speaking to these Jews, he says, and I speak that which I have seen of my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, <laughs> you have a kind of a construction in the original, it was a contrary to fact. He could translate it this way, if Abraham was your fa- if you were Abraham's children, and you're not, you would do the work of Abraham, the works of Abraham, and you don't. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. <clears throat> and they said unto him, now when, when, you, when you look at what they're saying here, remember the fact that when they're looking at him, he wasn't having this outward manifestation of glory. I, I wonder if they would have said it if they would have saw that. From their point of view, they were just looking at another man. Right? That's who they were looking at. And so notice he says, Then said they unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now this is really insulting what, what they say to him here. And Jesus said unto them, verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. <coughs> Excuse me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. For you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you, are, uh, you will do, or desirously willing to do. And this is an interesting thing here. Just like they didn't see that he was from God the Father because it wasn't an outward manifestation, it's kind of ironic that you don't see the same thing about people who are mature sons of Satan. It's not outwardly manifested who they really are. (laughs) He says, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks the lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar, and he is the father of it. And uh, everywhere, and it's safe to say that anywhere you can see lying, you know that Satan is involved. And again, you know my statement. That's why I believe that Satan has a throne, and I think it's in Washington, D.C. now. (laughs) Because there's a lot of lying that goes on there. But that's just my opinion. You can ask the Lord when the rapture occurs. <laughs> Verse 45. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's voice. You therefore hear them not, because you are not from God. Or really, not of God. 
this in the original, he really drives us home. He says, "You are not your source of where you're coming from is not out from God." Then answered the Jews and said unto him, "Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and has a devil?" And Jesus answered, "I have not a devil, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me." And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeks and judges. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keeps my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who maketh thou thyself? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. But it is my Father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. And so the Son did not try to glorify himself. Back up in verse 50, you see our word for glory. Uh, It's the word doxa and uh, it's to express an opinion through word or deed. And, uh, and we've seen that. Um, well, we'll try to give you that definition. But notice down in verse 54, he says, My father, and it's again the word for doxa there, but it's not, it's translated honoreth there. It's the word for doxa. He glorifies me, or it's glorifying me is the way that it's uh, translated. And so you see it uh, used there. That the, he said, I, I'm not uh, seeking my own glory, verse 50. I don't seek my own opinion. And we'll see that the son had a glory. The outward manifestation of that glory, we're going to see that it wasn't seen forth during his earthly ministry. A lot of the things that we're going to see that he manifested glory was in his activities in which he, uh, he was uh, caused to do that. Now notice uh, verse John 12 and verse 28. that he glorified his name or the father's name in John 12 and verse 28 now here we see um, in verse, let's pick it up in verse 23 and Jesus answered them and said the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And so he's looking at the future of what's getting ready to happen uh, because of what was said to him. And he knew that the time was winding down. In verse 24, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall unto the ground and die, it abides alone. But if, I, if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve, uh, serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man must serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into this world. Father, Glorify thy name. 
Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the word for name there is the word anima. It focuses upon the character of the father as manifested in word or deed. Uh, And you can see this. uh, So when we talk about name today, uh, we don't really talk about it in our current society in the way that it used to be talked about. So if you said that somebody had a great name, it meant that they had a good reputation. There was something about their character that stood out that you could count on. And that would come to the closest view of what this word for name has, and it's the idea of the character of the person. There's some character about them. And so you see it used concerning God in which um, a lot of things were done regarding his name. Let's look at a couple of those. As an example, if you look back at Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Matthew 28, 19. Now, here is what you call, um, many people call the Great Commission. Now, you know, I would say, and, and we've talked about this in the membership class this morning, that this is a commission that was given to the disciples. And uh, I would not see this as the mandate for the church, though the church does evangelize, not in this way. Now, notice in verse uh, 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me. In heaven and in earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Uh, really, now, if I change that to what it actually said in the original, would that make more sense? Teach all Gentiles. You see, that's who he's talking to. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, if when you baptize them, and I know that we say baptize, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but is that what he's talking about? It's really in the character of, you see. It's in the character of. And notice in um, John chapter 1 and verse 12. So, so when you look at this word for name, I mean, think about it more than, um, than that. It's kind of like when we pray and we say, you got to end your prayers and, and, and you do this in my name. So now we think, okay, I got to end my prayers in Jesus' name. You know you really don't have to say in Jesus' name. Don't tell anyone that. I tried to do all of my prayers where I would not say in Jesus' name at the end. Well, it probably stumbles some people because <laughs> they don't think the prayer is complete unless you do that. Uh, but it's in the character of, you see. You're doing it in the character. So when you ask, you're asking in the way that Christ would ask. That's what it is. And so notice here in verse 12, but as many as received him. Or go back to get some context. Um, verse uh Verse 7, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might be believed. He was not that light, but it was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which life lightens every man that comes into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. 
he came to his own. And, I, and so here I would translate this. This is an irony here in verse 11. He came to his own things. That's what you would call in the neuter position. You would translate it his own things. So he created this world. He came into his own things. He could tell the lightning, peace be still, it listened to him. He could tame a donkey. But you know what he couldn't tame? His own people. And his own people received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he, the word power there is, authority to become sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, his character, you see. And this was for, this was a transitional verse here. You don't get authority to become sons of God today when you believe the facts of the gospel. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he was raised again on the third day. The moment you believe that you are sons of God, you say, well, how can I prove that? Well, I'm glad you asked. First John 5, 11. The moment you believe the facts of the gospel, you are immediately sons of God. Those who believed during Christ's earthly ministry gained authority to become sons of God in the new dispensation. And that's really important to believe and uh, to understand in what he's saying here. But notice name, it's character. The character of and so notice if you go back to John chapter 12 and verse 28, he says to glorify your name. And so there's a name concerning the father that, that en- envelops all of the things about who he is, that the father is. And that word for glorify can be translated. You uh, really you have glorified your name. It's actually how you can translate it with the way that it uh, works out in the original. And so the father is in agreement that he has glorified his name. And then the father adds that he will in the future. It's, it's kind of a, uh, not translated in a way that you could really understand what's being said here. He says, and I will glorify it again. Mm-hmm. Now notice the son glorified the father through different means during his earthly ministry. Notice, turn back to the 11th chapter of John. And we've looked at this briefly, and that's kind of, delve into it a little bit more and you see the um, the uh, raising of Lazarus from the dead <clears throat> now there's a lot of people who will ask why do we not see this today and so you have a lot of people who try to recreate it um, people who believe that they can raise people from the dead I'm always curious about these people because uh, they say that they can raise people from the dead, and I think the best way to do it is uh, if I could get one of them to go up to Detroit with me. Let's see if we can get my brother up out of the grave. I don't think he'd want to come back, but if you think you can do it, let's do it. Let's go over to one of the closest seminaries. Uh, not seminaries. Some people think it's the same thing. <laughs> Cemeteries. <laughs> and raise someone over there from the dead. And so, no, that's, that's not Why? I think David did an excellent um, series on um, this, and he talked about the fact, and it is true, that in the Old Testament, God is manifesting his physical power. That's why you see the miracles. In the New Testament, what is he manifesting? Spiritual power. How he can change people from the inside out. 
and that's what's going on, and that's, that's what's different today. Now notice um, verse 18. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And when Martha, had, uh, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and uh, met him, and Mary sat still at the house, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. And Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now just as a point of information here, there is a resurrection, a general resurrection that the Jews had an expectation of. This is what she's talking about. So as we read through the Gospels, you want to, uh, some of these things are not obvious, but if you go back to Daniel chapter 12, it talks about a general resurrection when all of the Old Testament saints are going to be raised from the dead. Now, this is what she thinks that he's talking about here. And so notice, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And... Uh, I don't want to read through all of this, and let's just jump down a little bit. And uh, verse 39, uh, uh, no, 38. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, comes to the grave, and it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he had been dead for four days. And Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou would believe, thou should see the glory of God? Right? Well, what did she see? Did she see a flashing light? Was there an angelic chorus singing over the grave? What did she see? Now, this is interesting what he says here. Uh, and the word for you shall see is the word hara'o. Now this is very important to understand because this word has the ideal, and this would be my definition on it, you, are, you see a thing with mental discernment of thought to view it with the eyes with the result of gaining some understanding. You see, you're watching something and you're looking at it and you're trying to put together what are you seeing? What's going on here? You know, and so there is this this thing, and and the, the best illustration I can get, I'm gonna use my wife again, as she is people watching in the airport. She's just watching and gazing, and I just see her eyes just going up and down, sideways. I mean, they're just moving, and she's just watching everything that the people are doing. And I could give her a quiz, and she could tell me about these people because she's watched them from <laughs> what she could get from the outside. Well, there's things that you see. Now, a good illustration of it, look at uh, John chapter 1 and verse 50. And we could see that the Lord used this as he was talking to Nathaniel. And he makes a statement about Nathaniel, and he comes to this conclusion in the realm of his humanity based upon what he saw Nathaniel doing. 
in verse, um, let's pick it in verse 45, pick it up in verse 45. Philip finds Nathanael and says unto him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I've heard people say that about Titusville. <laughs> Philip said unto him, come and see. And Jesus said, Nathaniel, uh, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite in which there is, in whom there is no guile. The word guile is deceit. Deceit. Now notice in verse 48, Nathanael said unto him, Which knoweth thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou were under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now, what was Nathaniel doing? I, I, some people postulate that what he was doing is that he was going through his Judaistic rituals. He was doing something that showed forth his genuineness. And so notice he says, in verse 50, Jesus asked and said, Before you, I, because I saw thee, I said unto thee, because I saw thee under the fig tree, Believeth thou not, thou shalt see greater things than these. And so this word for see or saw here uh, is our same word. To see something with mental discernment of thought. And there's, you know, here's the issue. And it's sometimes we have to introduce some of the other languages in because there's so many distinctions that are made in the original that the English doesn't make. So, Arao Say, if you see it, look here, and it's looking at something with mental discernment of thought, you have blepo, which is more of a glancing. You're not really engaged in it. You, you see it, but you really don't see it. You might say it out of the corner of your eye kind of thing. But this, you are really looking at it, trying to figure out what's going on here. You're gazing. You're trying to gain some insight and understanding of what's going on here. And so that's what the Lord said to Mary uh, uh, to Martha back in uh, John chapter 11 he says um, that you would see he says uh, did, did I not say unto thee that if thou should would believe thou should see the glory of God and that she would be able to see it as she saw what the son did when he said Lazarus come forth I think it was the whole thing she saw the son say Lazarus come forth then she saw Lazarus come out of the grave. This whole situation that went on there was reflective of that. And notice he says, you would believe. So the seeing was predicated on believing, on believing. Now, I really think during the son's earthly ministry, and I think I have enough scriptures to prove this hunch, the ones who believed were the elect. There were a lot of people who saw him do these miracles. Many of them rejected him. Right? Let me just show you one scripture and then we'll move on. Uh, in John chapter 6 and verse 26. And he says also in this chapter in John chapter 6 that do you know that nobody could come to the Father unless the Son drew them to him? Now, notice in John chapter 6, um, and um, 
verse 26. I need to get my glasses out. And notice in verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples. Now notice this is on the backside of him feeding the 5,000 and the, and, uh, and the uh, 4,000. <clears throat> uh, and this is why I can say, if, if you got into a situation where you fed people today, most of them will just tell me what I need to do to get the food. That's what they'll do. To a certain extent. <laughs> right? And so this is what you see happening here. And they, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when cometh thou hither? And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he just get, cuts right to the chase. You seek me not because you saw the miracles. Now, why did he say that? The word miracle there is the word semion. It's the word sign miracles. These sign miracles were done to point to something. So when he raised Lazarus from the dead, he was showing something about who he was. People should have saw it. When he uh, fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, people should have saw this. They weren't looking at the miracle and saying, man, look at this guy. What were they looking at? The food. The food. That's what they were concerned about. They saw a guy raise a man from the dead. They looked right past it. Well, we know that they looked right past it. We can go back over to the context. Let's finish this and then we'll go back over there. You don't seek me because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. I hate to tell you, I told you we had the phone in our house from the church at a certain period of time. Then I asked the church, please get this out of my house. You know why? The only people calling were people who were looking to be filled. Not spiritually, but otherwise. Look at chapter 11, and you can see that they see this miracle done, and they still won't believe. So he says, you would see the glory of God, verse 40. Now, in 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I know, I knew what thou hast heard me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they might, may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But notice here, verse 47. Now, wouldn't you think that if you saw a guy raised from the dead, that settled it for you, right? Case closed. I mean, you just saw the glory of God in very graphic detail. Sell it for you, right? Let's see what happens here. Verse 46. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. 
Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man does many miracles. Wait, <laughs> what? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you ask, how is he able to do this? Wouldn't that be the question you would ask? <laughs> if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. Well, we can't have that happen. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. You see. So they just saw a manifestation of the glory of God. And you can see a lot of these miracles were done for that purpose. If you go back over to Hebrews um, chapter 2, you find that the Lord wasn't just going around doing miracles willy-nilly just to do miracles. All of these were done for a particular purpose as to why he did them. It was to authenticate who he was and to show forth who he was. And I really believe those who were elect saw it. When he turned that water to wine in Canaan in uh, uh, John chapter 2, it says, then his disciples believed on him. Those people who weren't elect, I don't care how much glory you show, they're too blind to see. And that's, and that's where you see it. Now notice he glorified the Father in the suffering of death. Notice in John chapter 12 and verse 23. Uh, in verse 23, he says, uh, and Jesus, uh, go back and get some context in verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to the worship at the feast. Um, The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip came and uh, tells Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And so notice uh, the, the hour. Now, you see that used, and I think that there's talking about a period of time, in generally speaking, in which the son was going to put himself under the authority of men. Uh, what would this be like? I mean, we don't have any comparison to it, I guess. Your dog ordering you around? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's no kind of comparison to this. It's just odd. And so, now I think this is what was happening in John chapter 4 as he was talking to his mother. Uh, John chapter 2, I'm sorry. Now, I think that this is what's happening here and, um, in which he tells his mother what he says to her. She's trying to give him direction, and it wasn't time for that, <laughs> that, uh, that uh, he be instructed by men. And so notice she's in verse uh, uh, one, uh, 1, let's start with verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, 
they have no wine. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, I believe in the context there, that's what he's talking about. So you have this, his mother, who's trying to exercise authority over him in this way, and he says, my hour, the hour, really, it's, it's more particular than that in the original, the hour of me has not yet come. And what is that? That hour when he's going to put himself under the authority of human beings, the God of the universe, put himself under the authority of fallible men to treat him and to do to him the things that they did. Uh, you see it um, in other places, and uh, we, won't, we won't go there, but uh, notice uh, the hour, I would give this definition, is wholly used for the period in which the son would be placed under the authority of men for the purpose of allowing them to exercise authority over him. And why? And what's going to happen during that? that he might be glorified, as you saw in verse 23 of John chapter 12. And so um, there's, you see this future glorification that was going to occur. And notice it's, um, now I think it, it's interesting that uh, if you go back to 23, that's in what is called a subjunctive mood. Now, why is this important? Because I think it looks at the actual and the potential of what God was going to do. That if they actually carried it out, it would have occurred um, but they, uh, I mean, if they hadn't uh, uh, carried it out, say the Jews had accepted the kingdom, then the whole series of things would have happened differently uh, than it didn't happen. But anyway, the glorification was seen as accomplished uh, after his resurrection. Notice in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7, this particular glorification. Uh, this first chapter of Hebrews is just an, an amazing chapter, and it's talking about the Son and how superior he is over angels. And notice in verse 4, God also bearing them, um, well, I'm in the wrong chapter. No, I'm, I'm in the right chapter. Um, let's start at verse 1, and we'll read down. Therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we, shall, we neglect so great of salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? So he's talking to these Jewish believers and he says, hey, don't be cavalier about this dispensation of grace. And just you hear things and you just let it slip by like it's no big deal. And he says, if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression, he's talking about the law, and, and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? See that? The scripture breaks this down. He tells you that the Lord was the first one to start talking about this. Where? In the upper room. About this salvation that we're, in, that we're enjoying in this dispensation. Which first began by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness both, notice, with signs, wonders, and with diverse miracles. See? He used those things to validate the messengers concerning this doctrine. Now, you and I don't need that today. 
We don't need to be able to do miracles for people to believe. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit in the work that he's doing, which was happening in a different way. And so notice, uh, and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. For unto the angels has he, uh, unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, wherefore we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visited him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor, and did set him on over the works of thy hands. And so there was a glorification. And we're going to talk about this, that um, the son received the glory after his earthly ministry that he uh, didn't have during the course of his earthly ministry. And we'll, we'll look at that. So he, he glorified the father in the, uh, Judas's betrayal. Notice in uh, the 13th chapter of John and verse 31 through 32. Now, this is an interesting thing. As they're in the upper room, and so as the Lord is uh, uh, getting ready to be crucified, they have the Last Supper there on the night that he was betrayed. And so John gives this account of what happened in the upper room that night. And so notice in verse 31, he writes, Therefore, when, uh, go back a little bit just to get some context. Um, verse uh, 25. He was lying on Jesus' breath, saying unto him, Lord, who is it? So the Lord had just told him, one of you, one out from you are going to betray me. And they're sitting around, and they didn't know who it was. And, and just as a, a, a point of information, you can see, and, and you can see this happening in the church today, you cannot tell always how Satan is using people, and particularly with mature sons of Satan. You, you can't really tell who they are. So notice, if they could tell that Judas was the one, why are they asking this question? Lord, who is it? They didn't realize it was Judas. And, you know, and you would have thought, they're really honestly trying to find out, who is it? And so he says, and so he then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, he it is. Now, this is what I find fascinating. They, they don't seem to appreciate this. To whom I shall give a sop, and when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto them that, that said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. Now, no man at the table knew for what the intent he spake uh, this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas was, had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need against the feast, that he should give um, something to the poor. And I can't remember, there was another place where it talks about Judas had in the bag, and someone, one of the writers had it, and because he was a thief, <laughs> that he didn't want to... Uh, take that money and spend it on the poor because he was a thief. He was taking money from, stealing money from the bag. Verse 30. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. 
a couple of things. Judas was indwelt by Satan at that moment. Satan entered into Judas. This is a very interesting thing. And so notice in verse 31, therefore, when he was going out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Now, here it is. Uh, first, if, if you go back over in uh, 13 and uh, 31, so this now, this word now, when he says that in verse uh, 30, uh, oh, verse 31, when he says that in 31, now is an adverb of time. And so it's looking at a specific timing of this glorification that he's talking about here. And it's at the timing of Judas's departure and his betrayal. And so notice the word glorified here um, is uh, the ideal that something, someone caused this to happen. So John used this to note, express an opinion about the son, that uh, something a, a, a happened to express an opinion about the son. And notice certain things were predicated upon the son being glorified. Now, notice this glorification hadn't happened. Uh, this particular glorification hadn't happened before in the Lord's earthly ministry. And we know that because scripture shows us that. Look at, for example, John chapter 7 and verse 39. John chapter 7 and verse 39. And so there were certain things that were predicated on other things happening. For example, um, this is why we say that you cannot uh, assume and go back into the Gospels or the Old Testament and assume that the way that things were happening then are the way that they're happening today. You make that assumption, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. And here's one of the, the facts of it right here, verse John chapter 7. And notice in verse, we'll pick it up verse 37. In the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now notice what he says here. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Why? In the future, right? For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So they didn't have the Holy Spirit in the same way that we have the Holy Spirit today. When you make assumptions that they were doing and acting like we did today, you're making a huge leap in what Scripture says. And those assumptions are going to be proved to be false. But notice, he had not been glorified yet, and that the coming of the Holy Spirit was predicated upon that. Um, and so you see it there as an example. Uh, now notice the father was glorified by means of the son. You see that in verse 32. And then the father promised that he shall glorify the son in himself. Also in verse 32. And so this shall glorify looks at a future glorification that was going to occur. Now notice in himself. And, and this is an interesting thing. It's in a sphere of the, to be, it's the uh, phrase in the original into to be in a sphere of a personal thing, to be inside of one. Um, it's an interesting thing here that you see this uh, talked about in John chapter 14 and verse 20. 
the father uh, or the son promised that there was going to be a period where the believers would be able to see and understand this. That there was a relationship between this father and the son that uh, wasn't known before then. Again, here's another scripture that tells you that there is, uh, we have these things, uh, uh, I would say a, dis- a dispensational distinct- distinction, a line of demarcation. And it's drawn right here in verse 20 of John chapter 14. At that day, well, verse 19, he says, Yet a little while, and the world sees me no more. But you see me because I live. You shall live also. At that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye are in me, and I am in you. And so this is relationship between the Father and the Son, in which the uh, Son is in the Father, the believer is in the Son, and the Son also indwells in the believer. Which is, I mean, this, this last one, the fact that the Son indwells in you and me, was not possible before the day of Pentecost. This is why you can say that no believer today, we have it all. Do you realize you're not lacking anything to do what God wants you to do? Nothing. The fact that the Son indwells in you is a huge thing. And that the Holy Spirit can produce the life of the Son in you. We have it better than any group of people that has ever come before us. And it's just an amazing thing to see. So you have this relationship that was promised that they would be able to see. And I think that that's what that, um, the father being, uh, the son being in the father is, is relating to. And notice the father promised the fut- that future glorification would be straightway or immediately. Uh, and that would be um, describing the suddenness of the event. And I think um, that happened as the son, uh, after the son uh, suffered and was crucified. And so you see that in scripture as well. And so we've been trying to look at the sun and different um, acts of glory and how the sun was able to manifest glory in the, um, doing this earthly ministry. And so what we're going to continue to look at is the sun and this relationship to glory. And it's important to understand that as we establish glory as it relates to us in the New Testament. I would hope by the time that we get here that you would not be, that you would really have a full appreciation for what God is doing with you and I in this issue of glory. And we'll talk about all of the ways that it matters to you and I today. I think it's a huge topic. I hope that you'll be able to see that after we finish. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to glorify you, to bring glory in the way that we conduct ourselves and the provisions that you've given us in this dispensation. Just an amazing thing, all of the things that we have. Um, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We're not lacking not one thing. And we're thankful that as we avail ourselves to these things, that you're able to work through us and to bring glory to yourself and how we're able to uh, live out this life that we have as a result of the fact that your son is indwelling us and the fact that we are also have a position in your son. Just all of these things are just amazing facts that as believers understand them, it will revolutionize how we see this life. And we're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.